invite you to keep that open as we uh, look at that more closely. And because this is God speaking to us, using human words, but God speaking to us, let's pray that that may happen as we consider his word this morning. Please pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we pray that in the ways that we each need it, you would cause it to live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we are in the fourth, yeah, fourth week of our Summer Psalms series. And we come today to Psalm 23. As Reese said at the very top of the service, it's a well-known psalm. Maybe even if you're unfamiliar with Christian things, as Janelle was reading that out, you thought, oh, I've heard this one before. And obviously for many people here, I imagine it's a much-loved psalm. But earlier this week, as I was reflecting on this psalm, it did cause me to think about this. Does anyone know who that is? She's an Oscar winner. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, before she was famous, 25 years ago maybe, over 20 years ago, before she was our Kate, this is one of a series of ads for the Tim Tam Biscuit. I don't know if you remember these ads. And in this ad, she's in the attic with a companion, husband, boyfriend, and she's cleaning it out, and she comes across this lamp, and as she rubs the lamp, sure enough, a genie comes out, and the genie grants her three wishes. And she replies, three wishes, huh? All right, I want, and she looks at her companion who's eating a Tim Tam, and she says, a never-ending packet of Tim Tams. And the genie grants her that wish. And then the genie tells her, you have two wishes left. And her companion says, ah, then we'll have two more of those. And that's the ad. Cue the tagline, Arnott Tim Tam. What more could you wish for? It was a great ad. I love that line, what more could you wish for? The ad works, I think, because we know it's not true. We know it's not true, but we want it to be true. Because that's the dream, isn't it? To be able to say, truly, I have this. What more could I wish for? What more could I want? And maybe you know what that's like. Maybe for you that's, maybe that's having real living security. Maybe it's owning your own house or turning your run-down small house into a bigger, more helpful house. Maybe it's a particular relationship you're pursuing or a vision of family that you have. I have this. What more could I want? Maybe it's a job or a career that you want to fulfill you. Maybe it's health needs. Maybe it's just base level security hope and assurance in the face of uncertainty, financial uncertainty, emotional uncertainty, and spiritual uncertainty. In the six short verses of Psalm 23, we're presented with two subtly different metaphors. And if that is you this morning, who feels that way and thinks that way, and I dare say on some level it's each of us, then please hear these well-known words of Psalm 23. Beloved for a reason, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. In these short, six short verses, we're presented with a vision for life that both acknowledges 
our human desire and need for fulfillment and for contentment and security, and yet at the same time pushes back against our tendency to look for that in all the wrong places. To look for satisfaction and contentment in our possessions, in our human relationships, in ourselves, in what we can achieve for ourselves and we can save up for and build and get. The promise of Psalm 23 to each person here, each one of us, is that for those whose trust is in the Lord, they can truly say with the psalmist, even in the midst of dark and difficult times, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I lack. Or to borrow from the Tim Tam ad, God's goodness, what more could you want? So let's look at the very first metaphor. And we see that it involves the psalmist likening God to a shepherd. As Janelle read at the very top there, you can see it's titled a Davidic psalm, like last week's one, Psalm 13. It's connected to Israel's great King David. And King David was famously the shepherd king. That was his vocation before he became a king. This psalm could well have been written by David, although it's not entirely certain. So throughout, I'm going to refer to the writer of this psalm as the psalmist. The shepherd lives with his flock and with all things to it. Why does, why does the psalmist use this, this image? Well, because that means the shepherd was the guide, the provider, and the protector for the flock. And shepherd as a metaphor for God, it evokes not only care, but also intimacy. Maybe you don't think that when you think of a shepherd in the modern day, in the Western world, but certainly in the ancient Near East, that was the nature of shepherding. If you remember back to our series in John last year, we reflected a little bit on that. And this intimacy is expressed in the very first verse, isn't it? The Lord is not only the almighty creator who sustains the universe and life in general, nor is he simply our shepherd, the one who looks over his people as a whole. The psalmist says he is my shepherd. It's intimate. It's personal. From the very outset, we get this incredible, this incredible paradox that the infinite God of all can be to one human being, my shepherd. And it's wonderfully beneficial, this relationship. The shepherd provides for his sheep, but not just at a base level. Can you see that in verses 2 and 3? He provides abundantly. Verse 2, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. These green pastures that he's talking about, they were a seasonal occurrence. In the summer and autumn months, the sheep would have to be led to many places to find food. But during winter and spring, the fields in Palestine and even parts of the desert would just turn green. They'd become lush. And these pastures were so lush that the sheep did not need to move on from them to be satisfied. And so God's provision is portrayed here as permanently being like those winter and spring months. His care isn't seasonal and fickle and changing. It's constant and it's abundant. It's the picture that's being painted. The sheep have plenty of food. They have time to rest. The shepherd lets them lie down. The quiet waters that he's referring to are the wells and springs around Palestine that the sheep could drink from without being rushed. 
The psalmist is saying that this is how God cares for those who are his own. His provision is every bit as abundant. He renews his people so that they feel that life in the presence of God is good and worth living. He restores them. He gives them the enjoyment of life. He provides them with invaluable guidance, verse 3. He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. The right paths. There could be a moral dimension to that, but mostly what the psalmist is saying is that the shepherd's paths bring the sheep directly to their destination. His paths are straight in that way. He doesn't unnecessarily tire out his sheep. The shepherd knows what's coming ahead. And so his sheep have no need to fear. Even when the right paths take them to places they would rather not go. Verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley the psalmist is describing are the deep trenches caused by the torrential winter rains known as wadis. The shepherd would have to lead these sheep through these wadis in the spring migration. One writer describes from his experience in this part of the world walking through one of these wadis at this time of year and what it must have been like for a flock to have to do this following a shepherd. He writes, The air at the bottom is heavy with the rising heat of the day and the canyon floor is covered in dark shadows as the rising cliff walls cut out the distant sunlight. At this moment of crossing the wadi floor, the pleasant scenes of green pastures and still waters seem far removed. There is no grass or water. The heat can be oppressive, and the sheep must struggle up the steep sides if they're to get to the next feeding place. I wonder if you've ever felt like that, if that in some way describes an experience of life that you have had. Deep canyons, nothing but shadows. You might see a little note there that says that line can be translated, the valley of the shadow of death. Whether he is talking about actual death or just life that is really hard, the psalmist is clearly talking about the really tough seasons of life, the dark seasons, the darkest of which arguably is death. And yet, though he walks through this dark valley, the psalmist claims that he fears no danger. Why not? Because the shepherd is with him. Because the shepherd is with him. The psalmist is confident of the Lord's provision and protection because he is confident in the Lord's presence. He can be confident of the Lord's provision and protection because he is confident in the Lord's presence. I shared this story last year. Some of you may remember uh, the, uh, the incident in Turkey in 2005 of a flock of sheep, one of whom tried to jump a ravine, missed, and all 1,500 of the sheep followed the sheep off the ravine. 450 of them perished. But crucially, the shepherds were on a break at the time. Probably a well-earned break. It happened early in the morning. They'd been up all night. But they weren't there. And above all, a shepherd is with his sheep. And the psalmist says that makes all the difference. He has a rod to fight off wild animals. He carries a staff to guide and direct the sheep and to pull them out of snags. Life with the shepherd is secure when the shepherd is with the sheep. 
And so the psalmist is saying, life with the Lord is secure because the Lord is with you. When you are his, he is present with you. So join me in trusting him. Join me in trusting him. This is a picture of utter dependence, these first four verses, this first metaphor. And this same encouragement comes from the psalmist in the second, shorter metaphor. In the final two verses, the image shifts, doesn't it? Instead of an abundantly providing shepherd, God is an abundantly providing host. Instead of being a beloved sheep, the person of God is is an honoured guest. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The psalmist depicts this host going all out. The table is laden with food. Before the guest enters, the host honours him by anointing him with oil, a well-known practice at the time. The guest cup is overflowing. The host is giving his very best and he's giving it without limit. And note this is all done in the presence of my enemies. What are these enemies? Well, it's a metaphor. They're likely, just in a general sense, the adversities of life, whether human or otherwise. But why are they at the table too? Well, it could be a picture of reconciliation and peacemaking, you know, with former rivals. Enmity is set aside. Let's share a meal together. The host has made this possible. Or it could be a picture of vindication and triumph over defeated enemies who are now reluctant guests. Either way, the psalmist paints a picture of contentment and joy that's possible even even when adversity is present. Like the green pastures and the quiet waters, the table symbolises the abundant care and provision of God for his people. It's a care and provision that is constant because God's love and presence is constant. Verse 6, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I wonder if that term faithful love rings a bell for you. We saw it last week in Psalm 13. That's a great psalm of lament. Part of the psalmist's hope was rooted most profoundly in the faithful love, God's chesed, his covenant commitment to his people that cannot be taken away. God's loving care, the psalmist here says, actively and relentlessly pursues him, perhaps like an enemy would. But instead of seeking his destruction, it seeks his blessing. And so he can say, Virtually, that's only goodness that pursues me all my life. And the same goes for any one of his people, anyone who's trusted him. What is the psalmist not saying? Probably a helpful question to ask at this point. He can't be saying that he has everything that he wants. That trusting God is a one-way ticket to material blessing. There are people who teach such a thing. Let me tell you, that is plain wrong. Certainly as far as Psalm 23 is concerned. Yes, in both metaphors here, there is a picture of abundance and plenty. This is connected to material things and satisfying living. But there is also the darkest valley. There are also enemies. These are part of the psalmist's experience. Their their existence is assumed. And yet the psalmist still says, 
there's nothing wrong with that. For that to be true, the psalmist's contentment cannot be wholly bound to material blessing and comfort. His fundamental satisfaction cannot be found in what he does or does not have. If you're someone who feels the pull of that and the burden of that, I hope that this is an attractive thing, to think that you can have that sort of contentment that is not affected by the fluctuating things of this world. Let me tell you this, for the person who entrusts their life to God, this outlook is inevitable. It's actually inevitable. Full dependence on the all-loving, perfectly holy creator will naturally orient your thoughts and desires to him and to his priorities. Fundamental satisfaction is found in relationship with him. It's why the climax of the psalm is the psalmist's desire not to dwell in his own big house, but to dwell where? In the house of the Lord as long as he lives. For the psalmist, that's the temple, the symbol of God's dwelling, where God's people came, as it were, to do business with God. It reminded them that the God of the universe had reached out to them, that they could commune with him. Because the Lord is his shepherd, because God has drawn near to him, the psalmist can draw near to God, whatever the circumstances. And so his awareness of God's presence helps to, presence helps to magnify the blessings that he has. Relatively small as they may be. And his awareness of God's presence helps to relativize his struggles, big as they may be. This is the vision of Psalm 23. But of course, like all Old Testament hope and promise, it finds greater clarity in the New Testament. In particular, in John chapter 10, which we looked at last year, verse 11, we find the very language of Psalm 23 on the lips of Jesus. He tells the people, I am the good shepherd. And he does not use that language accidentally. By this point, the understanding that God was the shepherd of Israel was widely understood. Jesus claims the language of God the shepherd of the sheep, because Jesus is God. God in human form. And when he says, I am the good shepherd, he is saying, fundamental satisfaction in life comes from relationship with me. The one who, who knows each of his sheep by name. Each one of them. The one who provides and protects Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus showed that he was the one who provides and protects. In the healings and the other miracles he made. But most profoundly, how does Jesus define his provision and his protection? He says, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In his death and resurrection, Jesus provided for all our spiritual needs by laying down his life for us, for all who would call him Lord, and protecting us from the consequences of sin, eternal death and separation from God. And by rising to new life, that means he provides for our physical needs because his resurrection was a bodily resurrection and the hope it points forward to is a physical existence with God. 
And because of this, we can know that darkness and death are not the end. In Jesus, God continues to provide for his people. Jesus is risen and alive today. As we have already done this morning, we have the great gift, the resource of prayer. We talk to him and he listens to us. Because he knows our voices. He continues to provide guidance and protection. Jesus has given us his spirit. The guarantor that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One day. One day Jesus will return dwell fully and permanently with his people when that day comes there will be no need for his rod and his staff because there will be no more dark valleys for his people to travel through but that is not yet that's not yet for now in the already we continue to live as sinful people in a sin wracked world but as Psalm 23 shows us dwelling in God's house doesn't mean some sort of translation out of circumstances of pain instead it means to dwell with God your creator your shepherd in the midst of life as it presently is it is possible says the psalmist to experience the gracious presence of God and to receive the abundance of life he offers in the circumstances of pain in the midst of life as it presently is That's the not yet breaking into the already. So the question Psalm 23 poses to us, whether we have walked with the Lord for a a long time or whether we are yet to do so, is are you able to see this? Are you able to see and receive God's abundant provision in the midst of life as it presently is? In terms of answering that question for each of ourselves, maybe it's worth applying the Psalm 23 test, taking verse 1 and seeing if, when you're honest with yourself, you can substitute out the Lord and what will go in that place. My job is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. That's where I know my security is. My family is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. My home, all that I own, that's my shepherd. That's what I know will provide for me in the next 10 years in retirement. There's nothing I lack. Or if you don't have those things, they're the things that you want to put in that place. These are all wonderful blessings of God. We know that. We rejoice in that. But they are, by nature, fluctuating and temporary. Psalm 23 reminds us that God's presence is constant and we can be part of that as a final reflection I think it's helpful to consider the example of the Apostle Paul at the end of his life in, in jail destitute isolated facing a certain death one of the final letters he wrote was to a church of believers city called Philippi and in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 he famously writes these words he says I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot 
In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That last verse, I've been able to do all things through him who strengthens me, has been taken well and truly out of context so many times by people. Think that the sky is the limit for them. But what Paul is saying, that he is able to continue walking with God and rejoice in his abundant provision in the midst of life as it presently is. That's the all things that he can do. How can he say that? He can only say that because he has grasped the truth of Psalm 23. That contentment can never be wholly bound to material comfort and blessing. That fundamental satisfaction is found in relationship with the shepherd, the one who has secured his ultimate future, the one who strengthens him, Jesus. Because of this, Paul is able to receive God's abundant provision in the midst of life as it presently is. May that be true of each of us here And may we look forward to the day when God's abundant provision and abiding presence are experienced in all their fullness. Let us pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our shepherd who provides for us in every way. Help us to walk with you For those of us in the dark valley right now, Lord, may they have an acute sense of your presence. May you provide sisters and brothers in Christ to walk alongside them in that valley. May you bring them out to the other side. And for people here, Lord, who are wondering whether you are worth trusting, may you help them to meditate on the great truths of this psalm. Cast their minds and their hearts to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.